Welcome to Willow in the Windies with David Oram. Cricket, lovely cricket, at last where I saw it. Cricket, lovely cricket, at last where I saw it. Yardley tried his best, Goddard won the test. They gave the crowd plenty fun, the second test and West Indies won. With those little pals of mine, Hello and welcome to The Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean cricket podcast. In this, our second show, we'll be examining the recent run of success for Guyana's cricket teams, which has included winning the under-19 and under-15 competitions, and earlier this year, the regional four-day competition. We'll also be paying tribute to one of the West Indies' finest administrators, Peter Short, who died this week. These and one or two other recent matters will be things I'll be looking at in the company of one of the Caribbean's finest ever broadcasters, Mr. Joseph Reds Pereira. Hello, Reds. Yes, uh, good morning from St. Lucia, and um, I hope you're enjoying um, cricket in Pakistan because of your many worldwide con- contacts, and congratulations to England. They're winning uh, the Ashes, and we may see um, the Australian captain, uh, Clark, playing his last test at the Oval. Yes, yes, as we record this, uh, England have literally only a few moments ago seized the ashes with a test to play and Michael Clarke has announced that he'll be uh, terminating his international career with the last test at the Oval. Um, obviously, as an Englishman, I'm, I'm delighted and thrilled. Uh, but is this necessarily good for... Well, as an international unbiased commentator, uh, did you think that the, the series was, was a good series? Well, it was certainly topsy-turvy after the first two. I mean, uh, the the win by Australia at Lords was a substantial win, and you think, well, they they had a bad they had a bad opening test in Cardiff, and uh, they had you know got all their machinery well oiled, but that was certainly not an indicator, and they didn't seem to play the moving ball well for more reports. And uh, they didn't leave a lot of balls alone. They they played at deliveries. They didn't have to. They played with really hard hands. And um, it's uh, it's an embarrassing test for for, for Australia. You can, you can imagine. Uh, I've been reading the Sydney Morning Herald in particular, and you know, I had well, you know, heads will roll, but um, I prefer a better description. I think there'll be a number of players ending their careers, and already uh, a number of names are being presented um, by the various scribes in the Melbourne Age and in the Sydney Morning Herald, um, who, may, who may in fact make up the Australian side in the future. We can expect changes. Whether we'll have a change um, in the the coach in Lehman, we, we just have to wait and see. Mm. Australia didn't really show any ability to play the moving ball whatsoever, did they? T- technically deficient. Is that a consequence of uh, their leading players playing a lot less cricket in England these days? Well, I think that that could be, but I mean, um, you know, if you are going to England, um, you have to prepare um, for English conditions. You have to prepare for the moving ball. You have to adjust your your, your techniques. And uh, certainly, in the, in the majority 
of innings played, um, the, the the techniques uh, didn't seem uh, to have been able to, to 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 make the adjustments. I think the the bowlers did their very best, but they were always under uh, a, a lot of pressure, and it's well documented that um, Michelle Johnson is uh, a terror fast bowler on hard pitches where the likes of, of, of the late Malcolm Marshall or Akram uh, didn't need fast pitches. They would love fast pitches, but uh, they can um, you seam the ball and uh, you know swing the ball, and Mitchell Johnson just didn't seem to have that in, in his armory. How, how important is it to get... Uh, exposure to overseas conditions. I'm thinking particularly of England. Uh, West Indies, the fall from the, the, the top has been well documented. But when they were at their peak, most of their players were playing regular county cricket or regular league cricket. They are not doing so much by, by a long way anymore. Is that a big contribution to their falling away in their techniques? I, I would think so. Um... When the talent went to the English counties, that talent was already well developed. So um, the exposure at the county level uh, simply um, allowed them to improve uh, their skills playing on different surfaces. I don't think that the English counties, um, you know, really... um, uh, found our talent. Uh, the, the, the reason why they got contracts because they, they already established themselves in Test cricket, and uh, you know they, they simply were able to learn at the county level to play uh, the moving ball, the seaming ball, and um, I think when they then played for the West Indies, uh, you know all the players who played for Warwickshire and Nottinghamshire and Lancashire and Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, they benefited from the English county experiences. And it's something the Australians probably need to do if they're going to prepare for an English tour. They might need to get a few more players in England prior. Just in the last day or two, Red, uh, it's been announced that uh, an under-15 side from the West Indies is, uh, I believe, going to tour England. Therefore, that's going to be good for those young players? Very good for those young players. We, we need more of that. We need more of that for the even older age group. The one disappointment I have is I see them playing 2020 cricket. Mm. Now, uh, I don't know who makes that decision at the West Indies board level, but certainly I don't think that the under-15 players, and we have seen so many players in the Caribbean with bad flaws. You do not want under-15 players uh, to be looking uh, to soil their techniques, they need to play the longer format of the game. I'll ex- I I will accept uh, 50 overs, but they need to play two-day cricket and three-day cricket. I think it's a mistake to have 15-year-olds playing uh, 2020 cricket, and enough has been said about that, and it's really uh, uh, surprising. Mm. Uh, the squad that was announced, um, I don't know whether you can help me, Red, uh, I don't know enough about that younger age group, the under-15s. It didn't identify in the press release that I saw the uh, islands that each of these players came from. Um, I, I think there's three or four players from Trinidad and Tobago, but do you have a better idea on where each of these players comes from? I'm sorry, David, I really can't help you because I wrote to the president of the Western East Board, Dave Cameron, saying, you know, 
um, I follow fairly often about um, the West Indies cricket at all levels, and I can possibly recognise maybe four. Mm. Um, I spoke to the sports editor of a, of a radio station in Barbados, and he was saying the same thing. He can recognise three. Um, I, I think that the board has got to understand, and this happens with the West Indies women. You can yes. recognise five, you know, five women straight away. The rest is a guessing game. You you look at names and you say, well, that may be a Trinidadian, um, that may be a Guyanese, that may be a Vincentian. Um, but I, 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 all I know is that um, it's come out of the Westernese on the 15 competition, and I will you know, assume that they have picked the best players on performance. And let's wish them very best of luck, but let's hope that the Westernese board uh, PR department um, will indicate, and there's nothing to do with insularity. It's just information to know where your talent is coming from, so you can follow that talent. Yes, no, absolutely. Let's hope that they can uh, amend that in a, in a further release. Uh, you spoke about the under-15s coming out of the under-15 tournament. That was won by Guyana uh, recently. They also won the under-19 tournament. They recently, earlier this year, won the regional four-day competition. Uh, it seems to be a, a renaissance uh, for Guyanese cricket. Is that, would that be right and fair, Reds? Well, despite the split in the board and the, the, the acrimony that goes on, um, and uh, you know the West Indies board may be failing to act when they should have acted years ago, cricket is still being played uh, a great deal in Guyana. So the, the Demerara Association and the Georgetown Association, the Burbese Association, uh, the East Coast Association, etc., they are playing cricket. The, the, the talent is, is not being suffocated. Mm. And, um, you know, here's hoping that that kind of success will lead to some wise men um, coordinated by the Westernese board, but it's a Guyanese problem which probably can only be solved by, by eminent Guyanese to get a constitution that will suit everyone and have a, a very genuine, transparent AGM. Only then um, you probably will have peace and tranquility, uh, but um, the, the, the players, some or the other, uh, you know, don't seem to be affected uh, by um, the situation and they keep performing well. And here's hoping that, um, you know, there will be a solution to that mm. in 2015. The Minister of Sport is someone who played cricket um, in England. He played for Cambridge. He played along with Mike Brearley. Uh, I think he is um, quite capable of bringing uh, the parties together. And I'm referring to the Honourable Minister, Rupert Rupnerine, who bowled mm. off spin for Cambridge. And came at a time, of course, when there was Lance Gibbs and very few other Guyanese <coughs> spinners could have gotten in. Yeah. Now, as you, as you indicated, there has been uh, <coughs> some difficulties, political difficulties, in the different associations in Guyana. Uh, and there was a little bit of um, almost civil war amongst them that has resulted in uh, a couple of test matches being taken away from Guyana, most notably in 2012 and 2014, uh, games against... Uh, New Zealand on one occasion and Australia before that were, were moved, uh, one to Dominica and the second, I think, went to, to Barbados. They do seem to be putting themselves 
more putting their house more in order. This has come on the back of a change of government in Guyana within the last six months. Although I did read, Reds, that initially uh, the Guyanese government, uh, and in particular the finance minister, Winston Jordan, uh, with, withheld 500,000 US dollars from the CPL, which was the CPL finances, which the CPL officers felt was owed to them. Can, can you tell us more about that? Well, I think he did what any new minister coming into office, then Minister Jordan, um, he wanted uh, clarity, he wanted to get information on what was the work done, how was the work carried out, um, who was employed to do the work, and um, came out straight away. And I think it was good because the CPL then met with him Mm -hmm. and possibly provided uh, that information. And the, the uncertainty uh, simply um, uh, disappeared, and, and the matches um, were played in Guyana without any um, cloud over it. And I think um, that he was, he was satisfied with, with the information he got from the CPL. Um, you just can't have an invoice in front of you on your desk mm -hmm. uh, w without having the backup details of what um, the money uh, w was for in terms of carrying out uh, various uh, duties. Um, but all seems to be well, and uh, th th there is no question mark anymore about the CPL in Guyana. There has been... Uh quite a bit of speculation in some of the Caribbean papers about the finances of the CPL. Everybody agrees that the tournament is uh, generally uh, a great success and a, a very enjoyable spectacle. But um, Tony Cozier, Tony Becker, amongst others, have written about the, the finances behind it. There was an independent uh, su uh, study done by SMG Insight YouGov, which reckoned that something like 166 million US dollars was being pumped and generated into the Caribbean through the CPL. In a breakdown of that, Guyana was reckoned to be making about 24.5 million US dollars uh, through the association of being in the CPL. Therefore, that half a, uh, half a million doesn't seem too much to, to ask the government to contribute. No, I think on the basis of those figures, uh, it, it, it doesn't seem to be uh, an unfair amount to contribute. But I would like to see a further breakdown of those figures um, per, uh, per, per venue. Um, you know, you can have a, a top figure being floated for Barbados or being floated for Guyana or floated for St. Kitts or Trinidad or Jamaica. But um, I think basically you... you need to have a further breakdown of how that um, money was in fact um, all all uh, secured for the respective territories. Just reading what, um, you know, the, the, the Barbados response seemed to be, it doesn't quite tie in mm -hmm. with that kind of a, a total success figure. And I, I think the CPL instead of giving general figures, uh, must come again and, and give a detail of, of each uh, franchise uh, venue and how the amount was put together by the um, organization that has put together the, 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 these figures. Yes, no, there, there has been um, quite a lot of uh, speculation that uh, if the Barbados government or 
tourist authority doesn't contribute into the CPL, that Barbados may lose its franchise uh, for next season, the Tridents. Uh, that's obviously we're gonna, something we're going to have to look at very closely and, and keep an eye on. I do know, though, Reds, that there were certain things that you felt the CPL really did get right this season. Yes, I thought that um, the treatment of the press was certainly an improvement. Um, the previous year, there was no problems. The accreditation was given to the various media houses well before the CPL started. In year two, um, you applied as per normal. You never got a, an accreditation until four in the afternoon prior to the start of the, of the match. And I, I speak of St. Lucia, but I think there was one standard across the board. And you were supposed to get the accreditation and go straight to the press box, which meant that you had to spend some two hours before uh, you saw the umpires uh, came out. And um, that certainly uh, was really antiquated. And there was a protest. And this year, the third year, they went back to, to what they did correctly in the first year by giving you um, your accreditation all three days. The accreditation for the for the second year was one on each day. So you didn't collect three um, or four um, passes to the press box on, the, on day one. Even that would have been better. But I think that certainly got that right. And the treatment of the press in, in terms of information, in terms of release of um, starting lineups, in terms of um, making them comfortable with um, finger foods and, and, and dinner, um, and uh, all all the relevant teas and coffees and juices, <laughs> I think that was good. Um, they have got to do something very special with the press conferences, though, because in countries where you have a daily paper, you're going to have a lot more people turning up. In the smaller um, OECS countries, where you probably have papers uh, three times a week, um, you aren't going to get the same kind the same kind of um, of people turning up because by the time they can write what came out of the press conference, um, it's it, it's not relevant. Uh, the game is finished. Uh, you're you're on to another game. So I think that is something that, that they have to look at how they will get um, uh, that kind of information from all the personalities who come to the press conferences out at least to the region. If you cannot at least uh, satisfy. Uh, the local um, radio and press situation, which is not always on, on, on a daily basis. Mm. Now, there are certainly still challenges ahead for the CPO as it uh, tries to improve its uh, product year on year. One thing is the pitches. Uh, to return to Guyana just briefly, uh, Kevin Peterson did describe the uh, Amazon Warriors pitch uh, where they hosted the St. Lucia Zooks as poor. Colin Benjamin wrote in the, uh, I think it was the Kaiser News recently, how poor the standard pitches have generally been in Guyana. That's something they do have to address going forward. I certainly agree with you. I mean, and to think that um, the ICC man, the, the, the top curator, Mr. Atkinson, spent um, many, many, many weeks in Guyana getting the square up to speed after the traditional slow and low um, Guyanese pitches, border was along the, the same exception, but maybe not as, as bad as Providence, um, that um, we, we are back to square one. And mm -hmm. there, there's a feeling generally 
that the pitches for the CPL was just two pro bowlers, and, and maybe only Barbados and and Jamaica, um, you know, uh, were you know a little more favorable to, to the batsman. I mean, it's difficult in St. Kitts because uh, the ground is so small; it's a, it's a nightmare for captains and a nightmare um, for bowlers. But um, I think overall. Uh, the pitches were not 2020 pitches because the public goes to see um, a substantial amount of runs being scored and, and they don't want to see somebody being bowled out for 107, 110 mm. because it's, it, it's almost um, game over. But uh, because of the pitches, it turned out to be, in a funny way, some very exciting, low-scoring, nail-biting finishes. Yes, yes, yeah. And, um, well... As a, talking about, have been talking about Guyana um, in the last week. Dave Cameron, the uh, president of the West Indies Cricket Board, uh, did say to the Guyana Times that uh, you will have an inter- you will have international cricket in Guyana next year. Guyana has been without international cricket, as I've mentioned earlier, for ooh, several years now. Um, that would be good to get a Test match back there if if they do get a Test match. Yes, if they do get a test match, um, uh, it will be good. It will be good for any country to get a test match. The Guyanese tradition of good crowds always be extremely good from way back when. From way back when, the crowds have been good. And I think the board can see that as a, a, a money spinner. But, of course, there is the principle which has been well established by the West Indies board, although the, the president have said so, it's up to um, the various territories to, in fact, bid for the test match. So whether the president's statement guarantees um, a test match in Guyana, I do not know, because it could be open bidding again, mm-hmm. and then the West Indies board will meet with the, the bidding countries and simply say, what can you offer us? What concessions can you offer us? So we wait to see whether Guyana will will get um, a a test match. I mean, they were to get England, but that certainly changed, and the the bids reopened, and we know that um, Barbados was able to secure a test match, which attracted the you know a substantial amount of of the Barmy Army. What will also be interesting in the uh, next domestic and uh, international season for the West Indies will be the composition of their international sides. Um, you've alerted me, uh, to me, a story in the Trinidad Newsday today that has pointed out that uh, many of West Indies' top players, top international players, have not re-signed for the West Indies Players Association Union. This comes on the back of the reorganised uh, memorandum of understanding that they had and collective bargaining agreement that was famously uh, a year ago uh, agreed between the West Indies Cricket Board and Weeper, which then the terms of that caused Dwayne Bravo's led uh, one-day international side to strike in the middle of a tour of India, which is still hasn't played out whether the West Indies do in fact owe 42 million US dollars to India. A lot of that money that was being generated by the West Indies Cricket Board has been ploughed back into funding the Caribbean's new regional four-day tournament and professionalising that, taking money away from the international players. Those players, it seems from this article, do not wish to be associated with the union anymore. Are we seeing a division 
in West Indies professional cricket? Well, the newspaper article did not name numbers or names, but uh, there was slight maybe uh, inference that it could be some players who play in the CPL and who make substantial uh, uh, amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, a small number of six or eight players uh, would not break the back of the West Indies uh, Players Union, uh, WIFA. Um, and uh, that doesn't say, uh, David, that if they did leave the union, that they could not still be selected by the West Indies selectors once they play in the West Indies board uh, competitions. Mm. But you know, many, many years ago, I spent five years in England, and there is a, a song that comes out of the trade union movement where it says, you know, the working class can kiss my bum. I've got the foreman <laughs> job at last. And it simply says, well, you know, I've been upgraded. I'm making enough money. I don't need a union anymore. Is this the case of, of that? But there is, in fact, um, a lot of statements being made by players that the MOU between the Players Association, the new one since India, and that fiasco, the new one uh, doesn't um, seem to uh, do a lot for the top players. But mm. I think the Caribbean public and maybe the press is a, a little unaware of what are the exact figures, and that seems to be a, a fairly private matter still at this time. Yes, no, I, th I think you're right, and I think this one's going to run for a while, and I think it's something that, as a subject in itself, you and I uh, will return to and perhaps look at in more depth, because I do think we are potentially going to see, if no more than half a dozen players leave, West Indian cricketers leave West Indies cricket, effectively, and uh, purely act as international agents. But I think we'll leave that there for the moment. Um, it's obviously a massive challenge to the administrators of West Indies cricket, in this last week, one of West Indies cricket's finest ever administrators uh, passed away, and that was Captain Peter Short. He was the uh, secretary of the Barbados Cricket Association from 1966 to 71, president of the Barbados Cricket Association from 1973 to 93. He was then president of the West Indies Cricket Board of Control from 1993 to 96. He was a West Indies team manager, selector, and many have paid their tributes to his passing in the last week. The West Indies Cricket Board described him as an extraordinary man whose life was one of service, compassion and excellence. Uh, the ICC spoke of their great sadness at his passing. Uh, Weeper, uh, Wable Hines, described Peter Short as a man who dedicated himself to West Indies cricket. And greats like Sir Garfield Sobers said of him that Peter Short loved the game so much. Sir Everton Weeks said that Peter Short was devoted to what he did. And so Wes Hall said that Peter Short had the respect for the players and the players for him. Uh, your own memories of Peter Short, Reds? Well, there's very little I can add uh, to that. Um, I had the good fortune of actually seeing him play uh, for Wanderers. Um, he played a bit uh, as an active president of the Wanderers Club before he, he gravitated higher. I also had an opportunity to work with him as a cricket commentator. He worked um, with a, a group of us who worked for the Rediffusion at the time uh, from Kensington in the old Kensington ground. 
And, um, you know, there was the likes of, of Shell Harris, the late Shell Harris, a great personality. Don Norville, who was a great all-rounder in terms of being a journalist because he covered football, he covered cricket, he broadcast the game. Don Norville was also a FIFA referee. Um, Sam Wilkinson, um, those are, are some of the names that uh, I, I, I did, um, in fact, work with. Uh, Peter Short had, had a style, um, and uh, it, it was a, a very a very good memory. You know, it's, it stays with me. I can see the boxes as I talk to you now. It was a very humble, simple box, and um, we worked fairly well together. And it was a good experience for me. Um, but, um, you know, he um, was always approachable uh, by the press. Um, he, you know, he was very approachable. If he de didn't have the information at the time, he would say, well, please call back. Um, and it was a BC style. I, didn't, I wouldn't say it was a Peter Short style, but the BCA on the, the four-day games and the test match, they will make sure that they would invite um, at least one or two journalists each day uh, to, to lunch. So let's say you can have, um, you know, Sam Wilkinson one day, and uh, you can have um, maybe Tony Kozier the next day. Uh, I, I may get selected for one day. Um, and then, you know, you have a number of other young journalists, Hayden Gill uh, could be... Um, could, could, could also be invited, and on and on. Um, you know, it, it it was a policy which was good because um, it, it it gives it gives transparency um, that this was not a a, a a little club, and you know, a key holder um, it was all part of, of that group who uh, was able to to go to lunch and meet people and and talk to people, and therefore the press and the commentators felt involved. It was a good style. Uh, Peter Short was well supported by a hard-working team of executive members, uh, too numerous to call. Mm. Yes, uh, Captain Peter Short was undeniably right at the heart of the great and glorious years of uh, West Indies cricket, and uh, he'll be missed by many. Uh, another man who will be missed um, by many, and I know very personally by yourself, is the uh, noted Guyanese cricket statistician uh, Ron Legault, who died this week. Yes, I think Ron, um, I don't think that uh, a lot of people know how brilliant he was. I mean, he started for the, for the British Guyana cricket board uh, as their scorer. And he was a young scorer. He was under his mentor, Mr. Barnwell. But in 1971, his career really blossomed. He was a successful insurance salesman, but he really loved the game. And um, his work was, you know, just just not just scoring for himself. I mean, he scored for you, the commentators. Mm -hmm. And he switched to the Bill Fringle uh, method of scoring, and that improved him further. And the amount of information he gave you, um, uh, you know, at lunchtime, he, he will quickly tell you before you hand it back to the studio how many overs bowled, how many runs scored, um, details. And the same thing applied um, at T. He will give you a breakdown of what was scored before T, how many overs were bowled. 
and you'll give information uh, on a particular innings of, of, of 15, uh, a spell by, by, by whichever bowler. Um, uh, he was very pleasant to work with, and he worked with, with, with the very best that came to Guyana. He worked with Crystal Martin Jenkins, Henry Blofeld. He worked, going back to Don Mosley, mm-hmm. and uh, when, when the Australians came, he worked with McGilvery in 73, and he worked with Jim, with, 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 um, Jim Maxwell, Nelva Oliver. And going back to 1972, he, he worked with Alan Richards and later Brian Waddle. And they, like all of us, uh, had the highest respect for him. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the managers will come to him and ask him for information, um, so that they could discuss that uh, at the display in terms of, of the bowling figures, for example. No, no, a great loss, and um, I've lost a friend in in Ron Lego. No, thank you for uh, your. Uh your evaluation and memories of him. Um, Reds, I think that's all we've really got time for uh, for this occasion. Uh, thank you for being with me. Yes, and I, I would think it would be appropriate if you um, opened a bottle or two <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, safe in the moment because, you know, uh, you might never know what will happen the next time England travels abroad, which will be the key to judging the, the, their ability. But congrats, congrats on the Ashes series. I, I may very well do that. And do you know what? I think I may take a leaf out of uh, England's bowling coach, Otis Gibson, who uh, opened uh, on TV in the celebrations a very notable brand of Barbados rum to uh, in, enjoy right. the moment. I, I have my, some myself and I think I might go and partake, uh, perhaps with a large Cuban cigar. Uh, it's time to lift the bales and call time. I'd like to thank you, Reds, for joining me. And I'd like to thank the listeners for being with us too. This has been the Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And I hope you can be with us again next time. Goodbye.